saved by God's Son. And we begin with the first question on page 29. When have you felt captivated by a rescue mission? When have you felt captivated by a rescue mission? You know, we, we oftentimes, uh, when we watch the news, sometimes we see these uh, people who have been in harm's way and they're rescued, and sometimes the rescue is just unbelievable. It's amazing how they're rescued. Uh, have you had that experience recently? That's what the question is asking. When was the last time have you been captivated? It just you saw this rescue mission and just it just grabbed your attention and used it's just unbelievable to you. Anybody recently? I think the last time we probably saw something like that was during Hurricane Katrina. When we saw those people being rescued from the rooftops because the water was up to up to the roof. Hmm? The past hurricane. Uh, but we didn't see any of that stuff. We heard about it. Yeah, we heard about some of the folks, uh, the lady who had to go up in a ceiling because the water was rising. Yeah. One of my cousins. Hmm? One of my cousins. One of your cousins? Yeah. Okay. They had to take her, they had to go in the boat and get her out of her attic. Wow. Okay, look at the point at the top of page 30. Jesus came to earth to do what? To rescue us. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. And we can identify with what a rescue mission is. A person has to be in trouble to be able to need to be rescued. We were all in trouble, big time. There's nothing we can do about it. Just like those rescue um, scenarios that we see, people are in harm's way, they can't help themselves, and they have to send out uh, the Coast Guard or whoever to rescue them. Well, Jesus was our Coast Guard. He had to come on a rescue mission to earth because we were in deep, deep trouble. And he was the only one who could rescue us. Bible meets life on page 30. Someone read it, please. Some assembly required. Many of us dread those words. Maybe you've known that terrible feeling that comes when you finish assembling some item, only to find you have one part left over. Mm. Everything seems to be in working order, but you stare at that unknown piece, wondering, what's it for? Can I throw it away? Do I start over? It's not always easy to determine the purpose of some things, and that goes beyond spare parts. Maybe you've even asked yourself that all-important question, what am I here for? One person who never questioned his purpose was Jesus. The Apostle John began his account of Jesus' life by making sure his readers had a clear understanding of Jesus' purpose. We could use a lot of good theological terms to express that purpose, but let me state it simply, rescue. Jesus came to earth to rescue us. Amen. Primary purpose, to rescue us. Ever had to assemble something and, and you had some parts left over? Yeah, I, I often sometimes think, well, they probably, um, they probably gave you a couple of extra parts just in case you, you lose something, you know? But that happens all the time. I had a mechanic tell me that one time. 
Mm -hmm. One, two screws were left after it was fixed in the car. Yeah. And I said, well, where they walk? Oh, I don't all come on the wash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. But he took all those out, so all those should go back in. Should go back in. It's you know, one mechanic says, man, don't worry about that. Those fellas who make these cars, they put more extra stuff in it than they need anyway. Don't worry about that. Yeah. You know, that's not safe. That's why you don't go to Bush Mechanics. You go to certified mechanics. Okay, let's see what the Bible has to say. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 5 on page 31. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Light was in him, and that light was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Okay, now notice there's an, there's a there's a definition there on the side and uh, in your books. For, uh, for the word, mm -hmm. see that? In the first century, the Jews used logos to refer to the authoritative word of God, especially as he spoke through the Old Testament. For the Greek philosophers, logos was the principle that guided the order of the world. John used this term to refer to Jesus as the one who brought both God's power and light to those in the darkness of sin. And separation from God. So that gives us a, a good, a, a better clarity on what that word, the word, really means in the context that is presented here. But notice, uh, in the text we just read, it starts with the phrase, in the beginning. See that? If you look at Genesis 1-1, you'll see that same phrase again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So clearly, John wanted his readers to connect with what he was about to say with God's creation of the world. And that's why he used that same phrase that we find in Genesis. In the Genesis account, God created everything by speaking it into existence through the simple power and authority of the word. John began his gospel by linking the Genesis account to his gospel. He's linking the two, referring to the word or logos. John used this term to refer to Jesus as one who brought both God's power and God's light to those in darkness of sin and separation from God. Also, John noted several unique facts about this word. If you look at the text first, he was in the beginning. See that in verse 1? In the beginning. And he was with God in the beginning, according to verse 2. This word was the person we know as Jesus. So he was there when God created the world in the beginning. In the Genesis account, Jesus was there. That's what, that's what he was saying. He existed, Jesus existed before God created the universe. Okay, he didn't just show up as a babe in a manger. He existed long before that. He was there when God created the universes in the beginning in Genesis 1. In other words, he is the eternal with no beginning or end. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. 
And that's what John wants us to get clarified. And that's why he refers to the Genesis account, because Jesus was there too. When God said in the beginning. The second thing we notice is he is divine. Not only was he with God, but he was God. Remember at one particular point, Jesus says, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. I and my Father are one. Jesus and many of the New Testament writers refer to God as Father. We see that in a number of passages in Matthew and Ephesians and 1 Peter. And to Jesus, his unique Son. Though Jesus is distinct from God the Father, he is the same, he's of the same nature or essence as God the Father. Both are God, yet they are distinct persons. There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that's a mystery that we won't be able to understand in full clarity until we get to heaven when we see Jesus. So don't try to figure it out down here. Okay? God will explain it all one day. The third thing we notice uh, in the passage, John described what Jesus accomplished. What Jesus did. All things were created. Notice the verse in, in, in verse 3. All things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. Okay? In other words, nothing was created that Jesus didn't create. He's responsible for everything that was created. God the Father worked through Jesus the Son in creating the universe. That's, what the, that's the point that John wants to make here. And so Jesus is significant when it comes to the creation work of Genesis 1 in the beginning. The Apostle Paul echoed the same teaching in Colossians 1. Uh, chapter 15 and verse 16, the first part of verse 16, where he says, He is the image of the invisible God. Remember that verse? He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. But if you want to know what God looks like, then you look at Jesus and you got a picture. He's the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. And that means that everything was created by him. The firstborn of all creation means that he was the one who created it all. And then verse 4, the fourth thing we notice is in verse 4. Not only did Jesus participate in creating all the inanimate objects that exist, he also gave life to human beings. We know that from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. That the life in human beings is unique because only human beings were created, were created in the image of God. And that's why it's so horrible to take another person's life. Because that person is created in the image of God. And that's why the Bible says that if a person take a person's life, that person's life should also be taken. Bible says, God says it. Why? Because of the uniqueness of that creation. They are made in the image of God. Okay, so don't, don't, don't listen to all those people talking about they don't believe in the death penalty and all that stuff. God says so. In fact, there's a passage, those of you who read Daily Bread, if you read this morning, you would have read uh, something about a person who killed somebody accidentally and they had a place called a sanctuary city. 
where if a person kills someone accidentally, they know that their relatives are going to want to get vengeance and their relatives are going to want to kill them for killing their loved ones. So they had a sanctuary city that they sent them to so that the relatives would not come out and take vengeance or other people like they do in today, take vigilante justice. But if a person killed a person intentionally, the Bible says, God says, their life should be taken as well. And that's why we have so much problems today with, with, with crime. These are people are not doing what the Bible says. They're all these, what they call, what they call them? Civil activists or, or what do they call them now? Brother Randy, I don't want to throw a coin ball at me. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday I was down to the Mikey. They had a regard so I went down there and I was speaking to this well-known some of that stuff going on. There's absolutely no doubt that that's, that's what's going on because definitely God's law is not being carried out. God says a life for a life. Okay, you take a person's life, your life should be taken as well. Uh, you know, and so that's why we have crime the way it is. A person kills somebody because they know they're going to get away with it. Alright, and so God says a human human life is 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 unique. It's special because people are made in the image of God. And that's why human beings have a special capacity to relate to God because they're made in God's image who loves them. Unfortunately, all people are separated from God because of sin. However, God doesn't let that slide. God shines a spiritual light into the world to show us how to get to him. Okay, God doesn't leave us out there in the wilderness wondering for ourselves, figure, trying to figure it out. He makes it possible for us to get to him, to get his salvation. And for centuries, his light came through the great spiritual leaders like Abraham and Moses and all the other patriarchs. And through some of the great prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, God always had a light shining through these people. But the day finally came when God gave the world the perfect light. That is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though Satan tried to use the spiritual darkness of the world to destroy Jesus, he failed. Miserably, he failed. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it, the Bible says. The light that Jesus brought into the world continues to shine. 
and it will continue to shine until Jesus comes to take us all to be with himself. And all those fellas who's flashing those signals and stuff, if they don't change, they're going to hell. <laughs> Question number two on page 32. What does it say? What does the imagery in these verses teach us about Jesus? Okay, what is the picture that these voices about Jesus bring to our minds when we read it? Who God really is. Hmm? Who God really is. All right, who God really is. But sometimes we think of God as a great big cosmic being in the universe and we don't think that Jesus is somehow factored into, into that. Okay? An alternative question is, where do you see the light of Christ overcoming darkness in today's world? Where do you see the light of Jesus overcoming darkness in today's world? What are some examples we see in our world today that the light of Jesus continues to overcome darkness? Hmm? The children of God, okay? We see God's light through the children of God. More people coming to know Christ. The light continues to shine, continues to be effective, and is working through the people of God. Anyone else? And especially in those areas where people are Christians are being persecuted. The light continues to shine brilliantly. And those persons who are persecuting believers are coming to Christ. Because of the testimony of those who carry the light of Jesus. Okay, let's look at the uh, paragraphs on page 32. If we can have someone read that, please. The first verses of John 1 are all about the word. The Jews of John's day equated that team with scripture, which makes sense. Words communicate, and scripture is one of the major ways God has communicated about himself. The Bible is God's revelation of himself, including his rescue plan for humanity. The word is also a fitting title for Jesus because he is the ultimate revelation of God. Everything God wanted to say to humanity, he said through Jesus Christ. As an example, consider what John 1, 1 to 5 reveals about Jesus. The word, he is. Eternal. Before anything was created, Jesus existed. He had no beginning and he has no end. Divine. Jesus is God. He is not dependent on anything else, while everything else is dependent on him for existence. Jesus is unlimited by time, space, knowledge, or power. He is eternal. Omnipresent. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. Oh, omnipresent. Omniscient. <laughs> omniscient. And omnipotent. Omnipotent. <laughs> Them big fancy words. <laughs> he is God. Period. Life. Creation has been messed up by human sin and rebellion. Yet that's the very reason Jesus came to earth, to restore life to us. Life was in him. Life is found only in Jesus. 
light. Like light, Jesus offers many benefits in our lives. Light reveals, for example, in the same way Jesus shines in the dark places of our hearts to reveal our need for forgiveness. Light also gives guidance when it's time to take the next step. Similarly, Jesus leads us in the right direction. He is our guide. Finally, light gives assurance when we're scared of the dark. Jesus brings us peace and assurance when we rest in the promise of his salvation. Okay, so we see those uh, four unique things about Jesus. He's eternal, he's divine, he's life, and he's light. And you wonder those words may be big and difficult to pronounce, but they're important to remember. You don't necessarily have to remember the words. Uh, you notice it says that he is unlimited in time and space, and that time doesn't affect him. Okay? Uh, time affects us. We talk about tomorrow, but for Jesus, tomorrow already came. He sees tomorrow and today in the same view viewpoint. Okay? Uh, he is uh, knowledge. That, that first big word, omnipresent, means that God is always present. There's never a time when God is not present. Okay? He's always there. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. Now, you know, I know you know some people who think they know everything, but God knows everything. Okay? You can count on him. He's all-knowing. That's what omniscient is. And omnipotent means he is what? All-powerful. There's no one more powerful than God. Okay, so those are three important words we need to remember about God, especially when it comes to our security. Okay, there's a exercise activity on page 33. Uh, let's look at that. It says Jesus is the light. What are some ways, what are some of the ways you depend on light in your everyday life? Record your answers under the images below. What would you put for the under the first image? What would you write there? In terms of some of the ways you depend on light in your everyday life. What's that? That first one is what? Sunrise, Sunrise right? What would you write under that when you when you think about depending on light in everyday life? Huh? Thank you for the sunrise of a new day. You know that when you wake up and you see a sunrise, that means you're still living, right? You're still alive, right? Okay, so that's a good one. Huh? Time for work. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay, that reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. What else? That we, that we see under that first one that we can depend on in our everyday life. Okay, the next one. The next image is what? A store? You won't be able to, you'll be able to walk around the house if you have light. Okay, you'll be able to walk around. The light makes a difference in the darkness. Yeah. Alright, you, 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 you don't want to, you don't want to stumble around your own house in the dark. Even though you're familiar with that, you're still going to bump your toe into something. And then the other one. Fire. What would you put under that one? Seeing at night. Hmm? Seeing at night. Seeing at night, okay. Huh? <laughs> Keeping warm, okay. Yeah, warm. Okay, in what ways do you depend on Jesus as light of, as as uh, as a light in your life? 
In what ways do you depend on Jesus as a light in your life? Direction. Direction. Good one. Huh? Protection. Understanding. Understanding. Okay. Very good. Okay. Verses uh, 13. As we look at, continue with verses 9 to 13, we learn more about Jesus' rescue mission for the world and for us. Let's have someone read uh, verses 9 to 13, please, on page 31. The true light who gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Okay, now notice we have another definition there of verse 11, his own. See that? What does it say? Jesus was born to, born to Mary, a Jewish mother, who was married to Joseph, a man who was a lineage included such heroes as Abraham, King David, King Josiah. Jesus came as the Messiah. God promised through the Old Testament prophecies to send to his people. And that's the definition of his own, or whom he came to, his own. Now notice uh, verse 9, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Uh, many false leaders have come through the centuries, and they continue to come. There are many people who come and they say they're this and they're that, and, uh, but they continue to come all claiming to be sent by God to tell people who God is and how to please him. Okay, the one that pops into mind uh, most prominently is David Koresh. Remember him? Remember that name? The fellow who went up and said he was Jesus and caused all those people to lose their lives and some federal agents to die as well. Well, people like that continue to come. God's prophets had warned against these false teachers. And we see this, these warnings, some of them in the book of Ezekiel, and also in Malachi. Ezekiel chapter 11 and Malachi chapter 2, God gives us some warnings about these kind of people. Jesus, on the other hand, is the true light. Jesus referred to the false, teach, false leaders of his day as blind guides. That's who they are, and we get a lot of them today. You talk about the many churches that we have in the land, well, a lot of those churches are led by blind guides. Blind guides. You know, anytime you find a church where the leader calls himself an apostle, blind guide. Okay? Because we know what a, we know that an apostle, to be, quali to be qualified to be an apostle, you have to be, you have to have been with the resurrected Christ. Now, do you think those fellows you see when they call themselves probably old enough to be that? Huh? <laughs> okay, so you know you got a lot of you got a lot of churches, but they're led by blind guides. That's what Jesus called them. While he described himself as the light of the world, Jesus is the true light because he alone is qualified to show us the way to the Father. Only Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there are a lot of people who take exception to that. All right? But that's what God says. Okay? God said it. That settles it. Verse 10 and 11. Uh, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Or 
Well, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him. Well, we saw that, yet the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own, his own did not receive him. His own people did not receive it. There were no banquets or honors to celebrate Jesus' arrival. You know, a lot of, sometimes when people come into town, they have these big celebrations to celebrate their coming. Instead, the world did not recognize him when he came. Though many benefited from his mercy and power, as he healed the sick and he fed the hungry and he taught those who were ignorant, most people saw only a great prophet. That's how many people saw him. The Jehovah Witness doesn't see him as a prophet. Not the divine son of God, just a prophet. Sadly, even his own people did not receive him, as the verse says. Even the people of his own hometown, Nazareth, saw him only as the son of a carpenter. Nothing more. Son of a carpenter and, and, and the son of Mary. Almost all the Jewish people rejected Jesus and refused to believe that he was the divine son of God. God sent the son that God sent to save the world, as his name meant, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I remember uh, the Bible, there's a Bible verse that says he didn't know great miracles in Nazareth because the people didn't believe who he was. He came to his own and they received him not. Verse 12. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. Though most of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, some did believe in his name. In Jewish thought, a person's name was a symbol of his or her total identity and character. Similar to the way it is today. To say that someone believes in the name of Jesus means that means much more than merely giving mental assent to the truth about Jesus' identity as Lord and Savior. When a person believes in Jesus' name, they actually accept him as the person he claimed to be and commit to following and obeying him and him alone because of his name. Okay, let's have someone read the paragraphs on page 34, please. Jesus as the word is 
to continue to live in darkness and spend eternity separated from God. Accept Jesus. When we accept Jesus for who he is, the revealed word of God, he gave his life and life. John used two words to describe the process of accepting Jesus, receive and believe. Receiving Jesus means submitting to his lordship over your life and believing in your heart that he is your savior. Go ahead. Obviously, one of these choices is best. When we humbly accept Jesus as our Savior, He brings us into His family. We become children of God. All of that happens by His grace. We don't have to work for it. God gives us a new birth and an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfailing. In, uh, in other words, our rescue from sin and death has come in the form of God's figure. Okay. Now notice the first uh, paragraph in what we just read. Uh, it says the central story of the Bible is how God sent his son Jesus to rescue us from sin. The Old Testament points to our need for a savior, the promised Messiah. God planned our rescue, our redemption before creation. Now let that sink for a minute now. Before creation, before Genesis 1, God planned our rescue. You get it? It didn't, it just didn't happen, happenstance. It was not by the way. It wasn't a coincidence. Before Genesis, in the beginning, God created our redemption, our rescue mission was planned by God. And so when we celebrate, what we celebrate at Christmas is the fulfillment of that plan that became, that came before the creation. God's son became, came as a human being, as a human, as one of us. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But notice the two clarifications here with terms to reject Jesus and accept Jesus. It's important to get that. To last part of uh, that first, the first paragraph is to reject Jesus is the word as the word is to continue to live in darkness and spend eternity separated from God. Those persons who continue to reject Jesus are living in darkness. People living in darkness are those who reject Jesus. And where will they spend eternity? Separated from God or as we say today in hell. And then they accept Jesus. Receiving Jesus means submitting to his lordship over your life and believing in your heart that he is your savior. So we get a good definition there of what it means to reject Jesus and what it means to accept Jesus. Okay, question number three on page 34. What do these verses teach us about salvation? It's a gift. It's a gift. Exactly. There's nothing that we can work for, nothing that we can accumulate any kind of, 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 what you call it? Good works to get it, or merit to get it. Okay? It's a gift. But it's also a gift that you should tell us about the great gift. Oh yeah, and, and whenever you get a good gift from somebody, you, you brag about it, right? We do. 
boy, at this Christmas I got this nice gift and I thought, I really hope someone would give it. You brag about it. When was the last time you brag about salvation? It's not only just a gift, it's a, it's a priceless gift. It's a priceless gift. It cannot be valued. Okay, it can, there's no value you can put on it. Okay, now in verse 13, when we look at verse 13, we note that John described what happened to those who believed. He said the change they experienced was radical because they were born of God. He stressed that his birth was totally different from a physical birth. This birth was not of blood, is what John points out. There are, there are different views as to exactly what John meant when he makes this statement. Perhaps he was describing the ancient view that the blood of the parents united in the mother's womb to form the child. Or perhaps John was emphasizing that becoming God's spiritual child was not a result of one's, one's heritage, as we see today, as Jews often claimed. Neither did this new birth come merely through the sexual desires of the parents or because of their desire for children, since both the second and the third conditions relate to him, relate to human will, Perhaps together they stress a similar contrast, not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of the spirit. Not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And so when we put our faith in Jesus as God's unique son, and receive him as our Lord and Savior, God's spirit creates a new person. And that's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. First, Second Corinthians five seventeen. He makes his home in us. God takes up residence in a person when they are saved, and this change is miraculous and can only happen through the power of God's Spirit. We are truly born of God when that happens. Okay, we're going to wrap up uh, with uh, verses four, with fourteen. Just one verse. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. He observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. This verse is a, is a simple summary of the reality of the incarnation of God becoming a human being. John deliberately said, the Word became flesh. At the time John wrote this gospel, his false teachers were claiming that Jesus only appeared to have a body. That's what the false teachers were preaching in, John, in John's day. These false teachers believed that all matter was evil. Anything with flesh was evil, that's what they believed. And created by someone less than God. That was their belief in that day. Therefore, they assumed Jesus could not have actually existed in a body, but rather only appeared to have one. Okay, he didn't really have a body, he just appeared to have a body, is what they believed. John stressed that God came to earth to live in a body of flesh and blood. Jesus was both fully God, fully man. And that's the point that John wanted to get across. Now notice, Jesus 
said that John said that Jesus not only came in a body, but he took up residence among us. This imagery goes back to the Old Testament accounts of the tabernacle and the temple. Remember them? The tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle was temporary, the temple was permanent. When the tabernacle, the portable tent of worship where God met with his people, was completed, God's glory appeared over it as a cloud. This cloud continued to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness and symbolized God's presence among his people. After Solomon completed the temple in Jerusalem, once again the cloud descended representing God. It represented God's favor and his presence among his people. John ended his great summary of the gospel by saying that Jesus was full of grace and truth. See that phrase? Two simple words, but so charged with meaning. In other words, these phrases are what we call pregnant with meaning. First, the word grace. In the New Testament, grace carries the sense of a gift that is what? Undeserved, right? It's God's undeserved gift. The Bible says, for, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a what? Gift from God. The second word is truth. How does anyone consistently make wise decisions that will be in his or her best interest? The only way is to have a clear view of reality, right? What we really need is a clear certainty about what is true and real and worth living and dying for. We find this by looking at Jesus. He is more than a bearer of truth and ultimately rea an ultimate reality. He is the truth. Remember Jesus said that? He says, I am the truth. The way, not a truth. The truth. This is why the word became flesh. To enable us to know the grace and truth that sets us free. Question number four. How did Jesus' earthly life reveal God's glory? He was perfect, right? Okay, let's look at that uh, paragraph on page 35 as we wrap up here. The Word became flesh. This is the miracle of the virgin birth. God became flesh. God, the one who is eternal, came into fullness of time. God, the one who lives in unapproachable light, became visible for all to see. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, left heaven's throne to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. Other than an angelic announcement to a few shepherds, Jesus came with no fanfare, no baby shower, no baby registry at Kelly's or wherever. No, but even then, and throughout his earthly life, John notes that we observed his glory. Jesus did not set aside his deity. Throughout the Gospels, we see glimpses of Jesus' divine nature. Consider his miracles and his teachings. John could write about seeing his glory because he was there when Jesus transformed, was transformed in front of them and his face shone like the sun. 
transformed in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. Jesus' glory that was on the inside came from on the outside, came through on the outside. James MacDonald refers to the glory of God's fingerprint. Glory is a signature. Jesus' life radiated glory. And he did this by exhibiting two of the most important qualities of God, his grace and his truth. Jesus displayed both of these perfectly. During his earthly life, Jesus' truth did not lessen his grace, and his grace did not lessen his truth. We should follow Christ's example. We who have experienced God's grace should be truth people. Amen to that, right? And we who believe God's truth should also be growing in grace. We need both clarity and charity. Too often we choose one to the exclusion of the other, but Christ never did. As Paul wrote, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is ahead, Christ, as Ephesians 4.15. As Christmas parents great at Christmas parents get great joy out of giving gifts to their children. God delights in giving us gifts as well. He has given us the grace and truth. He has blessed us with his glory. And he did all this when he sent his son to rescue us. Now that's a gift. Okay, let's look at how we live this out. We have a fifth question there. And that question is, what is your next step in joining Jesus on his rescue mission? But let's look at the, what we do to, to apply this. Jesus has come. That's on page 36. Jesus has come. How will you respond to that simple and profound truth in the days to come? Consider the following options. These are some options that we can consider. Consider the impact is number one. Make a list of ways Jesus' coming to earth impacts you today. Think of him, thank him for leaving heaven, taking on flesh and giving his life so that you might be adopted into his family. Number two, show grace. Be on the lookout for ways to show grace to others around you. Represent Christ well in the way you interact with others. Don't make Christ embarrassed. Represent him well. And then the third one is speak the truth. Stand for truth in today's culture, but let the truth be immersed in God's grace. That's one of the problems that we have in the world today. Despite all these churches, many of them are not standing for truth. That's the problem. Okay, notice. Jesus rescues, Jesus rescues us and gives our lives purpose. And that purpose is to follow Jesus and bring glory to God. Amen? Amen.